Welcome to the Fantasy Sports Collective Podcast. This is your host, J-Dub. I'm back. Two weeks. Got a little sick in the family. And Happy New Year. Felt like it was a good time to take a little bit of a break. But nonetheless, lots of interesting sports takes and just games coming at us. I'll get to some of those on the flip side. This is America. Don't get you slipping now. Okay, college football season is over. We're finished with the regular NFL season, and we're starting to transition into what I like to call the full doldrums uh, with the NBA, and maybe for a few of the NHL and college hoop seasons get us through the cold months of the year here in the Northern Hemisphere. As I said, I've been off for a couple of weeks, mostly tackling another bout of COVID and family sickness, but I'm ready for 2024. I'm excited for the year ahead. I'm excited for the NFL playoffs. I think these are, uh, a lot of people are saying it's a foregone conclusion, Ravens, 49ers, uh, Super Bowl, with Ravens being favored, given they just beat the Niners in San Francisco. I, I don't know if I buy that. I think there, there could be some upsets. Remember, the Niners are a little bit unproven, even though they've consistently overachieved in the playoffs under Kyle Shanahan, and they've got a great team, and I just think their path isn't as difficult. You just never know. And in the AFC, Lamar Jackson has never proven that he can consistently win playoff games. I believe he only has one playoff victory in his career. And you got Buffalo surging, and they've got multiple home games before they'd have to play at Baltimore, and they certainly can play in the, the Baltimore weather. You also have Cleveland, who looks really good. So anyhow, I'll get to those predictions in a moment. Let me kick it off with college football, though, since that season's done. And there's a lot of conversation happening around that. So let me start with my predictions. I'm just going to look at the kind of CFP, the playoffs there. Let's just say I I butchered them. So one, I thought Michigan was going to lose to Alabama. I was actually pretty sure of that. I probably would have bet my house on it if I was a gambler. Fortunately for me, I'm not. So I did not, but Michigan surprised me, really was able to hang with the physicality of Alabama, held close, really controlled that game, kept Jalen Milroy intact and allow him to get loose, which was had been really unlocked Alabama's offense the second half of the year. And they won it in the end. So really tough matchup there. My second call was Washington beating Texas. So nailed that one. And quite frankly, I thought Washington should have run away with that game. There's some weird situations that happened that kept them from winning that big and it actually came down to the last play of the game as we all know but they won and in the title matchup if i had done a show last week i would have overwhelmingly said washington is going to win the national title i thought they were more dynamic team i thought they'd be able to have some bigger plays open up that game And I thought there was a chance they could win by multiple scores, how Michigan beat them. But again, I underestimated Michigan's physicality. And that's a trademark of all Jim Harbaugh teams. You go back to to University of San Diego, his Stanford teams, his 49er teams, and now here at University of Michigan, he likes to win in the trenches. He likes to win old school, ground and pound, if you will. Um, He'll throw the ball. But he is not a dynamic, open it up, let's sling it around type of coach. He likes to win in the trenches. And that was a great example of that. I think when they were dominant against Washington early on and there at the end, it was just just out-physicaling them. 
And they were able to keep Washington from having an explosive place. So there's a couple of drops there, a couple of missed time plays. I thought Penix actually played pretty well considering the pressure he was getting, but he missed some throws. And that was really a difference in the game, quite frankly. So kudos to Michigan. Uh, the next thing it was Harbaugh gone. And I tend to think he is. I think that the rumors are he's going to go to the Los Angeles Chargers. That's what his former team. His wife, I believe, is from the San Diego area. She's desperate to get back to warm weather. So I could see him there. I think it's a good spot for him too. He really could change the culture of that organization. He's already got a franchise quarterback, which is a great fit for him. We'll see. Last topic on college is since we last talked and as on the show, we've gone deep on the chaos that is college football, the conference realignment, all the economics behind it. I had a guest on about a month ago in Crotch going deep on this. But there's been a lot more come out of this. It looks like Florida State may make a may make a push to to break out of the ACC. There's a report that the Big Ten uh, conferences television deals actually not signed. So that's seventy million dollar uh, a year per team, a billion plus dollar contract is is not done. And in fact, it's actually going to be haircut quite a bit. Um, when it does get done, there's a lot of things that were not fully aligned on and agreements that had been verbally made. So there's a lot going on. And I'm excited to explore that in the months ahead and years ahead. My general take, though, is we have not seen even the the, the kind of core of the chaos we're about to see. Uh, my hunch is there's some teams that have just moved to the Big Ten that are about to freak out if because they've foregone quite a bit of dollars in revenue share the next couple of years, leaving the Pac-12 uh, conference and they're doing this solely because they thought they were going to jump in revenues in the coming years in the Big Ten. So I think you could see a, a major chaos. I, my theory, which has been consistent but been emerging, has been I think there's 25 to 30 schools that break off and effectively are minor league pro football, and the rest actually continue to play college football. And I think the minor league pro football teams actually pay their players directly. They'll be damned. And the rest... They have NIL situations, but it's more traditional NIL for the players that actually build audiences on social media or uh, whatnot actually can generate real dollars. Maybe you'll have some of these collectives for some of these schools just to like supplement stuff. But this notion you're going to pay 20, 30, 40 million dollars a year in player salaries, I think that's going to be limited to the top programs. Um, and likely these entities will be uh, disassociated from the school. So they'll carry the school colors and name. They might still benefit from some of the school uh, things like band and cheerleaders, but I think they'll be divorced from the athletic department for several reasons, for liability purposes, as Crotch alluded to, due to Title IX considerations. So be curious to watch that, but let's pay attention. Okay, I'm going to turn my attention to the NFL now. I've got uh, a couple core topics. Uh, one, I want to touch on Philadelphia sports fans. Two, I'm going to do NFL playoff predictions, just the wild card round games. And then third, and, and probably most interesting, are who are the fantasy football sleepers for 2024? These are players, all these players, and, and may love, but they're all younger guys who I think are going to make a big leap forward next year. So their names to keep in, in mind as you go into next season. So let me start off. Both of the sports fans. I, mean, I can make an, my own show about this. What I love growing up in California, uh, I was always a huge sports fan. There's just not the fervor you have in, you have in the East Coast and particularly the Northeast. You go to New York, you walk down the street in Manhattan, 
or any borough and people are just, they're debating every little detail of the previous night's game, whether it's hockey, basketball, um, and very pro sports oriented, by the way, in the Northeast, very pro sports, at least in the cities, Boston, New York, uh, Philadelphia. What I think is interesting though with Philly is Philly fans are just a different beat. Look, they there's a famous quote from Mike Schmidt. I'll, I'll butcher it, but it was the effective uh, quote was, be prepared to be booed. I knew somebody who played for the Washington football team back in the day and said it was the only stadium you had to wear your helmet in and out of the tunnel because people threw batteries and hit you in the head if you didn't. And it was a known fact that they would tell listening players. Philadelphia's veteran stadium, and I think Link Field today, I think it's still called Link Field, is the only stadium in the U.S. that has its own jail at legitimately. That's a true story. You can look it up. So look, Philly fans, they boo Santa Claus. They booed their 9-1 football team so badly earlier this year that they lost uh, five of their final six games. Now, was it because they booed them? No. But the interesting thing is we know that Philly fans are considered the meanest fans in the country. That's, there's some research behind that. Uh, but my question is, this city's teams underperformed historically due to the negativity coming from the fan base. There is a lot of psychological research that that correlate negative media and fan support and just negativity around you uh, results in lower performance. And if we look at the professional baseball, football and basketball teams in, in Philadelphia, the Phillies have two titles in 140 years of existence, which is pretty abysmal relative to teams that have been around that long. The Eagles have four titles and one Super Bowl in 100 years of existence. Prox, I think it's exactly, I think they were founded in 1933. That's right, 1923, I believe it is. And the Sixers have two titles in 87 years. All have historically been very competitive, too. If you look at the, the Eagles, the last 25, 30 years, they've actually been pretty good. Andy Reid had a nice run there where they're consistently winning titles or winning division titles and winning, but not doing well in the playoffs. Uh Sixers have been up and down, but they had great teams in the 80s. And then obviously they had great teams in the early 2000s with Allen Iverson. And then they've been really strong the last five, six, seven years, the last five plus years with a healthy Joel Embiid. So, and the Phillies have been really good too, by the way. But if you look at that performance, just on based on titles, they've been very competitive, but they're not anywhere near similarly tenured kind of cities. So if I look at Boston, similar number of pro teams, just I, by the way, I'm just isolating obviously basketball, football, and and baseball, which is the kind of three major sports currently. Boston has 20 plus titles in that in that like way more than actually if you had them all up because I think the Celtics alone have 18 or 17 or something like that. New York's got 20 plus titles. Now you could argue they've got more teams, right? They have two football teams, two basketball teams, but you could isolate, take away the Nets. Take away the Jets, for example. Obviously, we could argue which one is truly New York. Uh, you could take away the Mets, obviously. But even if you just did the Mets, right? The Mets have have some titles. Anyhow, they've got 20 plus titles. Chicago's got 10 plus titles. The San Francisco area's got way more than 10. I think they have 10 titles just in the last, or close to 10 titles in the last 20 years. Los Angeles, obviously, a ton of titles. Anyhow, point is, they have significantly underperformed their teams relative to other large cities, and quite frankly, cities that where maybe there's a lot of media scrutiny like Boston or New York. And But is it because the fans don't show compassion and empathy? And would that help them team perform better? I don't know. I'm sure I'd get take a lot of crap from people saying, come on, this isn't, this is sports. It's not pansy ball. But the truth is, it is a bad look when you get a nine and one team, they played in the Super Bowl in a really good game. They lost, but it was a tight, tough game. They're nine and one best team in football at the, in the moment. And they're getting booed for a couple bad series in a row in a game. It's just, 
I, I have a hard time with that. I'm sorry. Like you should love and enjoy the moment versus going down to that level. Anyhow. Okay. Next topic, wild card round predictions. I'll go quick with this. AFC games. I've got Browns will be the good story. Texans, CJ Shroud's a good story, but the Browns have dominant defense and Joe Flacco brings playoff experience to the offense. And I actually think Browns are one of my surprise teams. I think Bills will win a tough matchup for the Steelers at home. Buffalo is on a five-game win streak. Finders this game as healthy as one can uh, at this point in the season. So these two teams are my favorites to potentially upset the Ravens in the AFC bracket. And then Chiefs versus Miami will be a toss-up. If Tyreek is healthy, I could see KC exiting early, but I think Mahomes wins this one. It's also supposed to be potentially coldest game in NFL history. A lot going on there. NFC. NFC games are more of a toss-up than the AFC games, in my opinion. I'm going with all the home teams to win, though. Dallas over Packers, Lions over Rams, and the Bucks over the Eagles. The Eagles would be the controversial call because, again, nobody believes in the Bucs, but the Eagles are a mess. They've lost five of the last six games, including three straight where they were heavily favored. And they, might only have the, they struggled more on the road this year at five and four. It's going to be interesting to watch the games. I don't know if any of the teams playing this weekend are legitimate Super Bowl contenders. Maybe the Bills, maybe the Browns, maybe Dallas, but I don't see any of the, the others, quite frankly. Okay, who are the fantasy football sleepers for 2024? So it's the last segment. Um, looking at players that were outside current kind of fantasy stars, so top 20 quarterbacks, top 20, 24 running backs, wide receivers, and top 10 tight ends. I, I cheated a little bit on the tight end because I took the, the 10th guy. But overall, these are guys that you should be looking at. I think they're going to potentially have big years next year, or at least prime to be solid fantasy football starting assets. First and foremost is rookie quarterback Anthony Richardson. The Colts pick looked like a fantasy beast in his limited starting time before he got hurt. If he can stay healthy, this team has plenty of talent around him. So he should and likely be a top five fantasy quarterback in 2024. So first, Anthony Richardson. I got two running backs. First is Tajay Spears. Look, the Titans gave Terry Henry a farewell speech at the conclusion of the game on Sunday. He's not returning. That was as obvious as you could ever see. And there's been discussion all year long that they're going to pass the baton to Spears in 24. And he's looked pretty solid. Spears exceeded 800 total yards, caught 52 passes, and looks like a dynamic threat and actually really modernized their offense. He finished as the 39th fantasy running back in a limited role in 20, in 2023. So I, I think it's safe to predict that he'll be a top 25 RB2 type performer in 24, if not better than that. He was dynamic in college. He showed the same thing in, in the pros in very limited time. So I think he's a safe bet. Next is a Ramondre Stevenson, the New England back. This is a bit of a cheat in that Stevenson was a top 10 fantasy running back last year. I think it was like number six overall. But here's the case. He's talented. He missed a ton of time this year. The Pats will be competitive defensively because they've got a very good defensive uh, unit. But they'll be breaking in a rookie quarterback and new offensive system. So I think Stevenson is well positioned to get 250 plus touches and return to a top 15, maybe even top 10 fantasy running back season next year. Next, I got three wide receivers. First is Rashid, Rashid uh, Rice, KC second round pick rookie this year. Hear me on this one. Chiefs are desperate for a receiver to step up. Everyone knows that. They they whiffed on some trades and previous draft picks. I expect they'll spend some time. They'll get a big free agent pass catcher signing this year, but Rice has been steadily improving. He finished this year as the number 27 fantasy wide receiver, actually quietly with 79 catches, 938 yards and seven TDs. So just the typical sophomore improvement of 20% will make him a top 15, maybe even a top 10 fantasy wide receiver. So I think this is actually a sneaky, maybe not that sneaky, but a guy that I'd be looking at. Next is a veteran wide receiver, Cortland Sutton in Denver. It's more of a hunch based on talent, past experience, and opportunity. Sutton was the 29th overall fantasy wide receiver this year. So again, not a huge stretch. 
but he was excellent in the red zone. He has a coach who will feature him, loves this type of receiver. If the Broncos can, can secure a more consistent quarterback, Sutton can and will become a top, potentially even top 10 performer in terms of talent. Next, I've got wide receiver Safe Flowers, another rookie. This rookie was dynamic. If Lamar can prove that he can support a top wide receiver, just flood him with targets, I'd have strong conviction on, on this. He was a 31st fantasy receiver this year, finished with 77 catches, 858 yards, and five TDs. So he's going to be there. And then lastly, tight end, I got Trey McBride. He quietly was the number 10 fantasy tight end this year, so broke my little limit. He was a starter in, in some leagues and probably was a starter in most leagues at the end of the year. Uh, but he didn't really get to start a bunch and wasn't featured the first five, six games of the year. Still ended up with 81 catches for 825 yards and three TDs. So if you add in the, the Zach Ertz featured games, he would have been a top three, top four, and he would have ended up with over 100 catches and 1,000 yards. So those are my calls for the year. I'll return these as they get closer to the season as we learn more about free agency and draft and system. But early going, if you want to make early trades to secure in keeper kind of dynasty leagues, those are my guys. Okay. On that note, let's have an awesome week. Enjoy. Appreciate you listening. Take care. Bye-bye. Before we leave, let me tell y'all a little something. Uptown, funk you up. 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 <laughs>